Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I am joined by writer, printmaker, and self-described media archaeologist Joseph Makos, who curates an archive of historic New Orleans newspapers called NOLA DNA, among plenty of other projects, which I'm excited to talk about. How are you doing today? Great. Great to be here. Well, it's clear. Glad to have you. Um, to kind of dive in, tell me a little bit about NOLA DNA and how this project started for you. Uh, it all started, you know, it's like there's always a lot to this. There's always this funny part to the story. And it's about the fact that I, I answered a Craigslist ad. Yeah. And it was and it was this archive that had been, you know, I don't think at that point it was really looked at as an archive. I think it was looked at as a collection of historic printed matter. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm working toward uh, and have been working toward for about five years now, uh, turning it into an archive. Uh, and it's. Uh, a collection of around 30,000 uh, airtight plastic tubes, uh, transparent. Then you can see the, the headlines and the dates of the papers. And I've been working for about uh, that, that amount of time, four or five years now it's been, to organize this, uh, put, put this archive into a semblance of order, some sort of um, uh, way that it can be accessed and then ultimately work t working toward digitizing um, more content. Uh, I do, I, I've done a lot of digitization work. Uh, it's all been based on sort of projects that I take on. One, one at a time will digitize, you know, 50, 50 things here or 20 things here. Or, you know, I've done, you know, some big stretches of digitizing. Um, but it's time consuming. That part of it's very, it's all very time consuming. Yeah, you know? no, I can imagine. I, you yeah. wrote an article for The Atlantic about it uh, two years ago or three yeah, years three ago years now. three years ago, yeah. On talking about how you've reached out to so many different people and everybody wants either like a different chunk of it or like they want to do something very separate with it, but there's like no coherence as far as like trying to make the entire archive into something like whole. Uh, how are you kind of dealing with that? Like with all these people kind of wanting piecemeal things, but nobody wanted to take on like the full extent of it. Yeah, I've had to... Uh, put on a different hat i've had to put on a curator hat yeah and uh do some things where i am sort of this encyclopedic you know i've just had to develop this sort of encyclopedic understanding of what what's there and being able to provide people with the content they're looking for uh it's it has been challenging at times but there's been a lot of successes with it in finding content that isn't really available uh to to people in the public eye. Uh, for example, you know, there's uh, this microfilm, this idea of microfilm, and this media that is medium is there for uh, our research. But what many researchers are telling me, you know, the people who are flipping through uh, the microfilm, whether it's whether it's by using an old school microfilm reader, which I don't think, you know, too many of those are really <laughs> existing outside of university libraries. Uh, or looking, sort of doing these searches online, is that there's a lot of content that's missing. Yeah. And there's a lot of content that's really hard to get to. Um, I was just having a conversation today with some sort of champions of preservation here in New Orleans, and um, and we were just talking about, you know, how to get, how to really get to the content. And um, we were, we were, both working on our computers at the same time, and all of a sudden I, I pull out my phone and swipe through and said, "Check out this article." And and she and she was like, "That's the article I was looking for. How did you find that?" I was like, "Well, because I scanned it, you know, the original, and it was a it was a mafia in New Orleans article from 1911. <laughs> oh wow, it was so cool. It was all about the Borgard Kai's house. Yeah, and what really went down there and the the mafia uh, uh, so, relate, uh, associations with that building. 
um, which uh, it was just very cool because that article that article is very deep and rich and has a lot of really important information in it. But the uh, it doesn't come up in searches. Yeah. Because you have to search different things around it to yeah. find it. And a lot of times this happens. Uh, and the reason that this happens is because sometimes the key words or the title of the article is hand illustrated. Yeah. Or the captions or the photographs in the article are hand drawn. So there's a body of text, but there's a lot of hand illustration that went on you know, in in what was the golden age of illustration, which is what this archive covers that time period. It's true, and you, you lose that with the microfilm, right? That you, that texture and the colors, that you, it's you really lose beautiful. The color, you lose the grayscale, you lose the texture, and 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 because of all that, you lose the searchability. Yeah, and you know, and and that's really just getting to the data and the information in the first place is like, that's part of, I mean, that's the main point of research. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you stumbled across this when you did, because we're on the verge of being able to really uh, access and work with these things yes. and collect data in a way that we've never, ever been able to do. It's true. Um, one of the, where, where the direction that I'm uh, wanting to take this project is, uh, you know, once we get into, once I get into an order, and I, I have to say I'm on the home stretch, I have to uh, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm organizing it from, you know, January 1st, 1888 to December 31st, 1929. I'm not doing that. Okay. I, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm putting it in an order. Uh, I am putting it in, uh, grouping it in deck by decades. Yeah. And then within the decades, I'm letting those decades sort of reveal. And it's not like necessarily clear cut transitions, like between 1919 and 1920, there's no real clear cut transition. Um, but sometimes there are transitions that we see, like when color came in for the first time, mm. or uh, as World War One, uh, the newspaper really changes a lot. The, the 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 visual presentation of the newspaper changes a lot. Of that large scale, large format illustration across the pages falls out, and we see more shock and awe headlines. Yeah. Right, it becomes a, a more of a utilitarian paper. But the paper was also merged at that point too, right before World War One in nineteen fourteen. And we see a change of uh, uh, the the change of the look of the paper. Yeah. Uh, so I'm putting it in an order uh, by decade, and then within the decades, I go into the 1880s, and I have that stuff separated out, and then I go in the 1890s and have that stuff separated out, and then within the 1890s, I have a categorization that works for the 1890s, but doesn't necessarily work for the 19-teens. Yeah. Uh, for the first photo comes into the first first photo comes into the Picune in 1900, so 1900 is a specific convenient deline, delineation between pre-photo newspapers and post and, and photo newspapers. Yeah, and that's an interesting delineation. It's like very cut and dry, like 1900. Like that's like that's a nice transition. Okay, and so we you know so that's just one example of like a pretty clear cut. This is when photography comes in. Yeah, uh, and. And then, yeah, so then in each decade, there's, you know, sort of like some pretty clear-cut ways to organize or pull content out of the archive. And then I have sort of topic files. And Trying to go through those. Yeah. Very interesting. And kind of measuring the culture, like you said, um, via the headlines and different things happening. Uh, I am interested in how you decided you wanted to kind of take this project 
on, like not just like doing this, but just like literally saying, I'm going to go to this woman's house and, and get all these things and load it into trucks and, and take it on and like make this a mission of myself. Like, was it something you felt you had to do yeah. or was it? Uh, no one's really ever asked me that, but uh, <laughs> well, I guess they in roundabout ways they have, but um, I can't, you know, I, I grew up in antiques. Uh, I grew up um, uh, in that world. So I had a, I don't know, I think I had something that was in my in my blood as far as like understanding antiquity and understanding the value of historic printed matter. Uh, my first job was a paperboy. That, that's my first, really? uh, other than working in my dad's, other than working in my dad's antique shop, but as far as like getting a paycheck and getting money in my pocket, my first, I, I inherited my brother's paper route from them. Ah. So that was my first real like job job, you know? As far as that goes, um, so I think that kind of is funny that, that newsprint has been in my blood for for a while. Uh, I think that I have to go back to the moment in which it was offered, you know, in which in which I was standing in that storefront um, in Mid City, uh, right near the Dixie Brewery, uh, and I was staring at this 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 it was it was three thousand boxes. I, I did a quick count and math estimate, and there were these three thousand boxes, and in each box. There was two different size boxes, one had nine, one had one had twelve, and so uh, or one had one had fifteen tubes in each one. One a uh, bunch of them had nine, so it's about the average of twelve twelve of these newspaper tubes per box. And I just was staring at this and thinking about this massive amount of history that was here, and it was a very time sensitive pressure situation, and uh, I had to sort of make this decision in the blink of an eye, and I did, and I I, I said this needs to be saved. Yeah, and this is not just this isn't just like a stacks of newspapers sitting in some old person's house and and just piling up and it's it's going to be a mess to go through it and it was it was intact in this really specific way and I felt like it was manageable yeah. uh, and 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 over the and over the years it has been not manageable but I feel like now I've gotten to a point where um. The uh, the uh, what was it Sisyphus, right? The uh, pushing the rock <laughs> yeah. up the hill. The, the, I want to push it back uh, up again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I think that's that's sort of like what it felt. It's felt like over over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, but I feel like I'm finally at a point where uh, it's coming into um, into a shape and form. And I'm trying to curate it, and I'm trying to write more about it. Uh, I've just really been busy organizing it. Yeah. And letting people in and accessing, and then and then all these sort of like amazing things will just pop up and I'll be looking, I'll be looking for something else. And then I'll find something like, wow, here's the paper of the open, the opening of the Ponset train expressway. Yeah. Like, wow, I wasn't even looking for that. <laughs> and I just happened to find it. And it's like, and then you, and then you go down this rabbit hole where you're like reading about this thing that happened in 21 or whenever it was. I, I don't think, I don't know if that's the actual year. I think it might be, but, uh, and then I'm like looking at like, it's just like you just could kind of go down this rabbit hole and then like when you're reaching the bottom of the rabbit hole, all of a sudden you see this giant underground cavern and at the bottom of that cavern is about a hundred other rabbit holes. <laughs> and those hundred <laughs> rabbit holes lead to another hundred rabbit holes each. So that's, you know, it's, um, it's, I've really had to put on this hat of cur curator and uh, I find topics that are interesting that if you spend six months or a year in the thing, you would find other topics interesting. Yeah. You know, so I'm pulling out little little projects. I get approached by by businesses and and uh, institutions and organizations here and elsewhere uh, to develop it and to find content uh, to pull for their histories or just interesting content to use. 
Uh, but I have sort of my baby projects too and things that I'm looking for and, and researching myself. And, and, uh, and uh, I imagine that, you know, once I push through a few projects, I'll, I'll take on a couple more projects. Yeah, I can imagine that. I'm curating it. It's, it's, a, it's a curatorial thing uh, that, um, you know, that I've had to, to really understand how to, how to do and work with. And it's working with primary resources, primary sources, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really special. To be able to look, to be able to research in primaries, because usually, the way that research works is you start with secondaries, and then you go back to primaries. Yeah. But I'm working the opposite direction. I'm working, working in primaries, and then I find a topic, and I'm like, oh, I have to read around this topic, and 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 what what's been a perplexing experience is that with some topics that I'm finding is just a dearth of information out there. There's nothing. Yeah. And, and then I try to go and find the scholars who know about this stuff and I bring them content or I reach out to, you know, I have a research community here through this. I've developed a wide research community of people I will contact and reach out to. And then I bring things to some of these, these scholars or people that are knowledgeable about these histories. And they, and sometimes they just look at me and they say, I've never seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just presented me with something I've never found before. Whether it's in the microfilm, most people have not looked at the originals, have not had access to the originals. So I'm finding that when you have a stack of, of originals of these primary sources, and yet there's no secondary sources that exist, as far as like academia and research goes, that's a good problem to have. Actually, yeah, exactly. That means you stumbled on something fresh and new, but incredibly old and uh, hidden away. Yeah. So it's like these hidden histories. No, I know exactly. And that, that's super useful for the researchers themselves as well as really exciting for you. Like I can see you just getting excited right now and you should be because it's really something kind of phenomenal. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I talk about a project that I'm on now. I, I found about 100 of these um, motor log sections from the 1920s. Hmm. And what they are, they're, they're features in the Sunday newspaper that uh, provide uh, readers with ideas for trips around the Gulf Coast and, and Louisiana, um, ma mainly focused on Louisiana coast, but but it, they, some of it goes off to, you know, Lake Charles and beyond, or it goes off to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi and beyond, because it's a vacation town back in that time, still is a little bit, you know. Um, but uh, there are these motor, motor log sections, and they are fascinating, and they are just really interesting. It's, they, um, most of the, most of the, of course, conveniently, most of the routes start from the Times-Picune office at 326 Camp Street. <laughs> or, oh, I'm sorry, at that point, it would have been um, on Lafayette Square. Ah. So the building would have been right there on Lafayette, on Lafayette Square. So they all start at the Picune building. That's where the, 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 the trips start. And then from there, you, you go off and drive. Some of them are as simple as just driving around the town and taking a specific route around New Orleans proper that tells a story sort of a certain narrative of New Orleans yeah. through just driving around town. And this was, of course, these were developed to get people in their cars and exploring the, co the, co the coast. You yeah. know? Some of them go really far, you know, some of them go really far in Louisiana and it's not, it's, um, you know, still sort of day trip or weekend trip type of things. But I'm compiling this, this, this grouping of these. Uh, I've got a little grant funding for some projects to surround this uh, for an exhibition and a little... Uh, a, ch a little chapbook. It's like a primer to the 1920s road trip. Yeah. You know? And, you know, that's just sort of a fun thing is I'm, I'm taking these primary sources 
I'd like to develop it into a large scale, co- you know, coffee table size book that were, you know, or, or even an app where someone could download this app and, and, and have a hundred of these road trips at their, at their access. And we could tie it into, you know, sort of geo navigating. Yeah. Know. And that, that's fascinating yeah. because like 1920s, this is pre interstate, this is pre airline highway, I believe. Right. Uh, I think, I think I've seen images of airline highway, but well, let's be honest. There was no such thing as airline highway. Highway 61, 20, excuse highway 61. me. Yeah. So it might say highway 61 and it might just be like a dirt road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like whatever it was at the time. I don't uh, if it was a paved road or a dirt road or a shell shell road or whatever. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but yeah, there would have there wouldn't have been, you know, uh there wouldn't have been well, 21 uh, the 20s. Yeah, that's when that's when air that's when airlines, that's when airports and um, airplanes were really becoming like a, a an international phenomenon. You yeah, know? like uh, post World War One is when that whole that whole um, industry of the aviation industry really blew up and really was at the forefront of uh, of everyone's minds and being able to bring mail quicker and travel quicker and and get around and and um, uh, yeah. So there, I don't think there would have been an airline highway quite yet, but yeah, it, it would have been. Uh, yeah, it was like, you know, this era is sort of like the, this era we're talking about is like people really, I mean, understand it's like the beginning of automobiles, it's the beginning of aviation, it's the beginning of wireless radio, it's the beginning of all these sort of modern things that we, you know, we uh, sort of have uh, right now and we're still using. Um, I just found a few weeks ago a radio section, hmm. just a little magazine that must have been a supplement in the 20s and it's all about radio in New Orleans at the beginning of radio. So that's you know we could we could bring that around and do a little special on that. Of course. At some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome, Joseph. Um, to kind of kind of pivot a little bit, I'm interested in uh, you. Besides working as this curator in this archivist capacity, uh, you do writing of your own. Um, is poetry or fiction? Uh, right now, uh, poetry. Yeah. Uh, less so than nonfiction. Oh, okay. Um, I'm starting to. I'm starting. I have a column. This tricentennial column in Preservation and Print Magazine. Oh wow! Uh, with the Preservation Resource Center, I'm okay. doing a little a series for the tricentennial, all about just sort of like found things I found in the archive. Wow! Here's something interesting that I found in the archive that preservation-minded people in New Orleans would find fascinating. Yeah. Would be interested or inspired by. Um, so I'm 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 working more into sort of like non-fictional uh, writing and essays about the archive. But I'm a poet. Yeah. Definitely a poet. Uh, I um. So what led me to being sort of this in, into this print historian was actually being a printer. And when I came to New Orleans 10 years ago uh, uh, to move here, I had been coming uh, before then, but I had been looking at all these old uh, print shops around town. Uh, there used to be one over on Magazine and Sophie Wright Place called Artvertising, uh, that building that's been restored completely now. And there was, of course, uh, the Laborde print shop on Frenchman Street, which was there since the 1890s. Uh, and um, I, I, uh, I got into those buildings. I got into a couple of these buildings, not not advertising, but uh, the Laborde shop and a, and a handful of other shops around town. And I bought up a lot of their old printing type and letterpress type and um, printing presses. So I have a shop where I where I where I do uh, print work for people. Uh, sort of like I sort of artistic editions and um, book. I do a lot of books, but I also do sort of like design work for people using the old t- the old typography 
and then digitizing it and then doing digital design with sort of like starting with the letterpress as composition. So my poetry leans in a certain certain ways toward uh, raw, um, a visual composition and I do some visual concrete poetry and visual poetry um, using typography and using letterpress design. And um, sometimes I use it as uh, uh, scripts for uh, improvisation. Yeah. Uh, and I've done even some things where I will cut up, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll scan all, I, one of these things, one project I did where I scanned a bunch of old maps and then I printed them on acetate. And then I did sort of like this, um, a different method of cut up where I cut up little pieces and then I layered uh, these, little, these little pieces uh, in uh, little slide film canisters. And then I have this uh, projection, uh, old slide projector, and I project uh, these um, sort of like visual landscapes, and I I call them false films. And then what I did is I introduced this uh, false films uh, idea, and I read a series of sort of like narrative poems that describe each each projection. It describes a, a movie that doesn't exist. All right. Like on the back of a cover box. All right. You know, you'd read like a movie, uh, but it would be like a, a fake movie. Yeah, no, I love that. That's great. In, invisible world style, invisible right? Invisible world yeah. style. Yeah, like, okay, like here's here's a projection because it's a fault because it's not film, you know, but, but I'm showing it through a film projector. Yeah. And they see this visual score on the wall and they're like, wow, this is okay. This is like this abstract sort of thing. But then... But then as I go through them, I read these ah, cool. descriptions of movies that don't exist. I love that. Yeah. that that's great. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's sort of like genre genre bending a little bit. Yeah, and really hybrid, especially with like kind of the uh, the tangible printmaking process involved with that, really kind of trying to bring all these different art forms and mediums together to incorporate something almost like operatic, I want to say. Just like, you know, trying to get everything out there it's on the performative. stage. It's performative. Yeah, it's performative. It's um, it, it, it it's transmedia. It's sort of cross medias, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that I do lend a lot of my work does lend itself to uh, experimental, you know, a lot of experimental stuff. And I don't, um, I do write, I do write, uh, I guess straight poetry. I just like write like poetry. Um, I feel like lately I've been playing a lot with uh, with rhythm and sound mm -hmm. a lot, going back almost to like a a new a new formalism yeah. or like a formalism, but. But not, I don't know if, I, I can't even say it's a new formalism because I'm not like writing sestinas and stuff. Yeah. I'm writing more like, um, you know, I guess it goes back to like this like Stefan Mallarmé, the throw of the dice, you know, the chance, the, um, the, the poem that he wrote in the 1890s, I believe it was, and it was all over the page. It was this typographic adventure where it's not just a linear, straight, left-aligned poem, but it's this, it's this poem that has a lot of movement on the page. Uh, that's what I've been playing with a lot. And the, the, the reason I do that is I, I sort of have this like indention system yeah. and it, uh, it, it lends itself to multiple reads. So you can read the poem straight through, or you can, uh, just as, as a sort of like a linear poem as it jumps around the page, or you can read sort of like the left column and then the first indent, you can just read that as a separate poem. And then the second indent, that is another poem. The third indent as another poem. Fourth indent, fifth indent, and on as different poems within the poem. Okay. Interesting. No, I, I like that. That's that's, that's cool for the, the reader. So. I'm trying yeah. to right now, and I'm thinking yeah. about it. It's like kind of almost like matrices almost, uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah, a little bit. And, and, and sometimes the work does strange things on the page. And because I, I, um, 
have this sort of design bug in me. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, uh, again, I was like editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper. So it was like a newspaper theme throughout this, my, my sort of literary career, I suppose. And then I worked in um, in a book production uh, press uh, in uh, in my undergrad. And I had worked in the design and production department and really, really brought something out of me, this creative bug out of me uh, to sort of design and learn how to make books and, yeah. and design my own books. And I've done the last, since then, uh, that's, you know, that's about, damn, 15 years ago now. Wow. Um, uh, I worked at UMass Press, yeah, 2000, 2002. And since then, I've probably designed about 100 books. Wow. Chapbooks, small books, little things, big things, some hardback books, some uh, some softback books, but a lot of handmade stuff, you know. Okay. I'd probably say it's about 25 to 30% uh, production that I wasn't doing, and the rest of it was production that I did do. Wow. Myself, right. Yeah. And you also host a podcast, am I right? Indeed, indeed. I, I host a podcast with one of my uh, good friends and writing writing buddies, Joseph Bienvenu. Uh, and we uh, host a podcast called No Good Poetry. <laughs> and we address different things. We don't, our podcast takes a different format uh, than a lot. We, we were both podcast listeners. And we were talking, you know, about a year or two ago. And we were like, let's uh you think about doing a podcast and like, let's take a look at what type of poetry podcasts exist already. So we went and looked and we saw that there were a lot of podcasts like about reviewing a book or maybe like just a seven a shorter form of like, hey, we're going to read a poem of a famous poet um, or like, yeah, let's review a book or like have an author on and, and talk about their book that was up and coming and a reading they're doing and have yeah. them read some poems. And we do have poets do that, but that's not the focus of, 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 our, of our podcast. Our podcast is making the world safer for poetry. And, what, when, and that's like our little subline of our, of our show. And uh, what we do is we always bring an, uh, uh, a poet on and we have them talk about a topic in poetry that's challenging or something like an, a process topic. So we've talked about political poetry uh, recently, we just interviewed some a poet from Chile about the political system and situation in Chile right now, and how poetry responds to that, and how poetry responds to community. Yeah. So we ask, you know, we sort of t- tackle these sort of topics, or like um, we had another 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 poet friend on. And we talked about uh, we talked about uh, uh, songwriting and poetry and how those two things are related, and then. Um, We've talked about, we've promoted, we've talked about the Poetry Festival or or we've had, um, I'm trying to think, we did a, an episode about poetry is found in the newspaper. Again, yeah. going back to the newspaper topic, poetry is found in the newspaper in the 20s and earlier and what, what uh, purpose it served and why we don't have poetry in the paper now. Yeah. So that was like, you know, so we we talk about all these surra- topics that sort of surround poetry historically presently uh we ask we have some up and coming episodes like do uh should poets have day jobs or we have another episode where we want to talk to we want to interview people who don't like poetry yeah you know like we're we're not shying away from topics or we 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 on that we went out on the street and we interviewed the typewriter poets oh, okay and we talked to them about poetry as a as a business as as a as a as a, as a in a commercial way yeah it's commerce because that's what it is like that's what they're doing with it um tomorrow night we're gonna 
we're going to head over to the Maple Leaf and for a crew of oak, and we're gonna we're gonna come armed with about twenty Mardi Gras poems, ah. and we're gonna talk to people about poetry and Mar- and have them read Mardi Gras poems, and we're oh. gonna do an episode like that. That's know? great, yeah. Just do, we're trying to do different uh, things that aren't just straight. Like we have an author on, we're gonna talk to them about their book and have them read poems. We always have people read poems. Um, we've had bookmakers, publishers, yeah, um, and and, we're, and we do international uh, distance recordings too. Yeah, so we try to cover a lot of different topics. Kind of more nuanced, more like kind of, I, I like that a lot actually. It um, just it 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 um it, it it allows us to do to have a, a, a deeper conversation about poetry, a richer conversation about poetry, and it allows us to really really kind of go off and 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 um, revel in it. Yeah, and revel in it, and 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 also we do you know sixty to ninety minutes is our is our format. So yeah. usually around an hour, but we've gone a, a, over. But they're not they're and very few of them are less than that. But you know we um we try to just look at the the um if you're looking at a gem and you see all the cuts and facets of of a very complicated gem and you're looking it at, at it through different angles. That's kind of how we look at poetry. Is that there's a lot of troubles with poetry, the way people handle it, manage it, and process it, and um, and like let's let's look at it from different angles and perspectives, and try to give people some new ideas about how they can understand poetry. They work with poetry, or they challenged by poetry. How can they overcome those challenges? So, no good poetry is kind of a little bit of tongue in cheek, and it, it, we're making the world safer for poetry, but it's also New Orleans yeah. poetry. So we we play a little. Although that's although the title of our podcast is No Good Poetry. <laughs> you have fun with it. That, that's good, fun. yeah. Yes. Fun and get a little bit more intellectual in that, yeah. uh, which is great. Um, sa- sadly, our time is short. That's fine. Um, but I did want to ask you what you're reading right now, and also where can people keep up with you and find out what, what events are going to be happening in your life? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll start with uh, uh, the events. Um, you can go, you, you can, you know, you can follow the podcast. We have nogoodpoetry.com. We're on iTunes. We're on um, Google Play as well. So, yeah, we have that. Uh, we have our dedicated website up, uh, uh, and you can follow my work at noladna.com uh, or a Facebook group or Instagram. I have sort of all those going, depending on what aspect of it you want. Or you can read my articles in Preservation in Print, um, and a number of articles uh, coming up in other places this year. Uh, so a lot of that you can find through just doing some searches for Nola DNA. And uh, and uh, on the, on the internet, and you can find some a, a, a few different outlets for uh, things. Uh, what am I reading right now? That's really interesting. <laughs> I'm I'm reading I'm reading a lot around my research right now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm reading uh, in my bag. I think I have a book that's all about the dock worker unions of New Orleans in uh-huh. the 1890s and 19 up to the 20s. It was one of the first. It's heralded as being this really important. Um, uh, 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 biracial unions where it was black and white negotiators were there together, always negotiating side by side. And it was, so I'm reading a book about that because I'm really, really interested in the dock history and, and, and uh, why the docks aren't as prevalent, prevalent as they are today. Um, we, I feel like we're very, even though the river is right here, I feel like sometimes we're very distant from it. Yeah. And in some ways they're more prevalent today because of where they are, but the docks, that were more active and visible were more downtown. Yeah, and those are that's not, not where the docks are anymore. Yeah. It's they're more uptown. So it's um, it's just I'm reading about that. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I'm I'm chipping into right now. I've just I'm reading a I'm reading a, a poetry book. Uh, Lauren Ireland uh, feelings is a a book that um, Trembling Pillow Precious put. I'm just just picking that up and starting to read that. I helped design the cover for it. 
Um, what else am I chipping into? That you ask a hard question because the truth of the matter is a little bit I'm of everything. Reading, no, I'm reading a lot of news, news, oh, newsprint, right? I was about I, to say, yeah. I mean, I do read a lot of newsprint, so I get lost in my archive all the time and 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 chugging away at uh, uh, articles uh, just uh, on so many different topics. So <laughs> that uh, that does, I have to say, that does take about fifty to sixty percent of my reading time. I can imagine it's focused you know, on reading old newspapers. The archive is dilemma, right there. Yeah, um, it's a it's dilemma. <laughs> Yeah. Not a bad one to have, though. No, it's not a bad one to have at all. And every once in a while, I'll stumble on a poem or something funny or interesting, you know. Sometimes uh, sometimes even copy for advertisements is super interesting. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Well, Joseph, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me.